Have you ever been, or, or heard the question, have you been asked the question, um, is someone Jewish, is that a religion or an ethnicity? Is that an ethnicity or is that a religion? And I think if you ask that today, um, people would have all sorts of answers. Um, there are many people who say, I am definitely Jewish, but I am not a religious person. And but claim I'm a Jewish because of ancestry. Well, what I want us to look at this morning is ask the same question of your Christianity. Is your Christianity an ethnicity or is it a faith? Are you a Christian just because of where you were born and who your parents were? Are you a Christian because of your own faith and where you're at right now? When Jesus came in the flesh a couple thousand years ago, and he's bringing an, a new understanding of what it means to have faith in God, and I believe in, in, in the flesh he's, he's bringing awareness to a group of people who for many, as we read through the, the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament, we see that for many of them, that their religion had become something that were things that they did, but not necessarily transforming who they were. And so as Jesus came and through his, his death and his resurrection, he brought new understanding. And as he was prepping people for this eventual thing that would happen with him of opening up this new way to connect with God, he tried to explain to people about this new way of understanding and connecting with God, very often through what we call and what was called parables. And through ways of telling little, little short stories or little, little even snippets of information, sometimes very much a metaphor, sometimes um, not so much, but these parables Jesus used to help get a hold of people down deep to kind of look at things from new perspective, because sometimes we can get in a, a, a deep rut in the way that we think, and maybe that we've been in this rut a long time. Sometimes ruts are helpful, sometimes they're not helpful if we're in the rut that's going in the wrong direction that we don't want to ultimately be going. So very often, parables work on a, a different part of our brain, and a different part of our brain so that we kind of dig in and think about it and, and understand, does this pertain to me and does this affect me? So, in just a second, we're going to read in Mass, or, yeah, Matthew 13, and there's a series of parables where Jesus, through these parables, is explaining this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, and how it pertains to people and how precious it is, and in one, one way, how wonderful it is, and another way, how terrifying it can be as he's sharing these parables but ultimately, he's looking at the extreme importance of what he's talking about, that this is literally life and death. And this is also something spectacular and joyful at the same time. So let's take a, a peek here into Matthew 13, and I'm going to start reading with verse 24. And just FYI, the parable before this I did um, a few months ago, it was the, the parable of the soils. Now we're looking at what is often called the parable of the weeds. Jesus then told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. In that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So here he's clearly describing that there are, there's good and bad in the world. And this way of harvesting, it reminds me a little bit, um, some people have introduced this to me, that sometimes with um, bush beans and sometimes baby limas, that on the last pick that you're going through, it's less labor just to pull the whole plant up out of the ground and then do that quickly and then, you know, set them on your back deck or your porch or whatever and sit in your chair and then go through the bushes and pull the final beans off. And it's just easier to do that way. Well, here's Jesus talking. He's not so much looking at what's less labor, but looking at as we live our lives, we are living in this world where we've got one foot in this, this fleshy world that we live in, but we have this opportunity to also be living in the kingdom of God. So you've got your earthly kingdom that we're existing in, but we're really living we have the opportunity to be living in the kingdom of God at the same time. And we're all co-mingled together. We work together, we go to school together, and we recognize that we have this incredible privilege of either just existing through life or living with joy through life because of understanding the big picture of things and knowing this opportunity of joy that we have, that we can actually connect with the creator of the universe, that we can have our, our past completely forgiven, and that we can live in unity with the creator of the universe and with each other while we're here on this earth. And then when our, our time here ends, we have the opportunity to continue on in relationship with God and each other as we join the kingdom of God together. So in this first parable, Jesus is, is, is bringing this out. And then he continues on in 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it has the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds come and perch in its branches. I will point out that in, in the, the scriptures, the words um, for tree and bush and all those are the same word. Basically, you know how, um, like, this is wood. Well, anything that's kind of woody is is wood. So a tree is a wood, a bush is a wood, this is made of wood, it's a wood. So it's a very broad term. The cross is a wood. Just pointing out as you, as you read through scriptures and, and understand that. So it's all very often one word. So as we understand this, that one, the, the, the gospel, 
the good news has incredible power. And we may not recognize its, its power and the simplicity of the gospel, but as we embrace the good news, as we embrace it and, and begin that journey with God, true power can be transforming to our lives as, as we continue to grow into it. Very few of us, I think, really understand the impact of the good news when we start the journey. We know it's something that's, that's good and, and helpful, but as we start and begin experiencing the Spirit move in our lives and, and the power of the Scriptures as we apply them to our lives, that's discipleship. And as we work and continue in discipleship together, then I know in my own life and watching people around me, it's, it's mind-blowing to see how incredible the Spirit is in transforming who we are. Jesus continued on. He still told them another parable in, in 33. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. The word here implies that as this yeast is getting worked into, it becomes a part of everything. As we are part, growing into the kingdom of God, the idea is that all aspects of our lives will have this good news and the yeast will become part of our DNA. When we make the decision, when we make the choice to become a follower of Christ and to become a part of the kingdom of God, it's not just simply someone deciding like, I like these ideas and rules that, that Jesus has in these laws and I, I'm going to start following those. No, it's much more than that. It's the opportunity for us to, as we pursue Christ in relationship with Him, we have the opportunity to be transformed, to be completely made new and to grow into something that God has created us to be. And it's powerful and it's wonderful. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables. He not, did not say anything to them about using a parable. He just did it. He so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And then he left the crowd and went to the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will be thrown into a blazing furnace, where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom to their father, of the Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. He's explaining this is serious stuff. That as we have the opportunity to pursue this life in the kingdom, that when we choose no to that, that there's consequences to that. That not choosing to be part of the kingdom, which is 
joy, being made complete, being transformed. That Jesus uses something analogous of something is incredibly terrible if you don't choose that. Something beyond that what we can imagine of the horror of it. So he's saying, be aware of this. In fact, this last glimpse here of two more little parables that are just a sentence or two long, he's describing how precious this is. In 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then went, and his joy went and sold all that he had. With joy, he sold all that he had, and he bought the field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he finds one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had, and he bought it. So here both of these are describing the preciousness of the kingdom of God. Now with the finding in a field, that wouldn't be a terribly uncommon thing to happen. And that, you know, the banking industry is just kind of starting and that some people would be able to do things working with others and, and draw interest. But for most people, um, if you had something precious, you would do like in the old days, you'd hide it under your mattress. You, you would hide it, bury it in a field, but you would just make sure that people couldn't get their hands on it if you had something precious or your, your life savings or pearls. You would, you would hide them very often. But, you know, it's something that you wouldn't just tell everybody about. Yeah, I buried my treasure in my back lot. So it would be not uncommon if someone died, they didn't make plans, and people don't know about this treasure, and so it would potentially be a fact that you could find a treasure. I could even imagine that was kind of in their news at the time that someone had found treasure. I don't know. But he's saying what this person did, they see it in a field, and if they just took the treasure, you know, that could be stealing. You're taking something off someone else's property. But if you buy the property, and to do that, he sold everything he had and used that money and bought the property, and then anything in that would be part of his as well. And we have this opportunity as well. It's to understand the, the value and the treasure of this gift that God has for us. And are we willing to sell all that we have for this treasure, this, this pearl that is so wonderful and so awesome? And do we recognize its value? So for me, as I read through this passage, I'm reminded, honestly, sometimes of my own faith. And I'm challenged by what Jesus is saying here because I grew up in church. My, it'd be rare. Probably on one hand, I can count the times that I probably missed being at church on a Sunday morning before I graduated high school. You know, it's really important to, for my family to be there in person at church. And when I made a decision to follow Christ when I was 16, um, I... I, I was taught and knew that I need to make this choice for me, but my lifestyle didn't really change very much from before and after. But I knew I was making a choice and, and committed myself to Christ. And as I continued to grow, as I read this passage, I'm thinking sometimes, and I think the way I live my life, 
that the enthusiasm and the joy of understanding how wonderful the kingdom is can become diminished because I'm just around it all the time and, and I forget the preciousness of that. And that reminds me of something I um, try to always tell the people before I do their wedding ceremony is that very often there's incredible enthusiasm and excitement about your, your wife or husband as you're coming into this marriage. But at some point, very often, in fact, a university did a study on it and they found the average is three years for something to happen where a person realizes, I'm not completely infatuated with this person. And when this realization hits, if you're not ready for it, it can be very unsettling. And it can be like, oh my gosh, I'm not super, super excited and, and hot for this person anymore. Oh my gosh, I married the wrong person. But if we're aware of that and recognize that very often, and, and it can happen in one month, you know, afterwards, or it could be 10 years later, but at some point in any relationship, um, the hot stuff may wear off for a moment. And that can be very much for your, your faith as well in God. And so the important thing is, is when those times hit, that doesn't mean that's a time that we abandon the relationship. That's time when we sit down and we understand life and the way life rolls and recommend recognize there's a kingdom of heaven and then the kingdom of the world to recognize this with earthly relationship too that sometimes we go things that are rocky and rough but then we are called to make the decision of what's right and then try to do things to develop and grow that relationship and then as we pursue that, and in faith-wise, that's called discipleship. In marriage, that's called dating. You know, that sometimes we need to go back and, and, and start dating and recognizing, do things to make the other person feel like they're important and significant. But in faith, we look at, we're part of the kingdom of God. And the pizzazz of something that may have been earlier may be wearing down and our role then if we see that that's happening is to repent and say God I'm sorry that I have been accustomed gotten accustomed to your glory and your grace and your wonder and your power and I'm sorry and I repent of that God bring to me back an understanding of the preciousness of your kingdom and, and relationship with you and, and being part of your kingdom. And as we pray for that, as we repent, then in our faith we then work on our discipleship. We, lurk, we work on growing and continue to do the things that God calls us to do, but not just simply for the fact of we need to be doing more stuff, but what we're looking for is giving opportunity for God to transform our hearts and transform who we are on the inside, to transform from us being focused on self to be focused on the wonders of who God is and to focus on loving Him 
and loving others. But not just an act of doing, but an act of transformation because of what Christ is doing in us. So this morning, I want to ask you this question. And Gary, go ahead, or Fred, throw it up there. What value am I placing on my role in the kingdom of heaven? What value am I placing on the kingdom of heaven and, and being a part of that? And are we truly selling all that we have to gain what we cannot lose? Are we looking at the preciousness of this gift that we have? And if not, we need to repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. I've, I've forgotten how precious you are and this gift that you have. So as we reflect on this truth and we pause, we recognize God loves you very, very much. God loves me. And he's calling us to something very precious and wonderful. And it's a gift that we have. And it's an opportunity to leave the ways of the world, to leave behind the ways of the flesh, and to walk into his loving arms and experience his joy. So that as we're living life, we're not just surviving or living the dream, as we often say, but that we are experiencing joy no matter what our environment is like or what we're in, that we're able to experience the joy of his presence and his love. Heavenly Father, as we live our lives, God, help us to take our eyes off the mundane and place them on the wonderful, to place them on your joy of your kingdom. God, give us passion to humbly bow to you in your authority and who you are and that as we do so that we offer ourselves as a sacrifice to you that as you have sacrificed your life for us may we sacrifice our lives for you that we may all be one together of one mind of one heart in you thank you jesus in your precious name we pray Amen.